That's, that's my role working with church planters like that, your church planters, and, and also working with churches to partner up with those church planters and, and trying to reach South Florida. Um, he was saying, come help us. That reminds me of the words in the Apostle Paul's Macedonian call that said, come over to Macedonia, come and, and help us. And that was really kind of how the Lord worked in our heart as we were praying through in a great situation, but yet hearing the Lord say, come help us and come serve and, and do in, in, in South Florida um, to leave our comfort zone. You know, sometimes the Lord calls us to, to leave our comfort zones to, to do what he's calling us to do. I think about the multitudes. The Bible says Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion one of the things that I led my church to do is, is always continue to challenge them to, to pray the Luke 10-2 prayer. The Luke 10-2 prayer is, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And we prayed that and we prayed that. Uh, it's hardly a week went by in our services that I wasn't kind of encouraging our people. And I praise the Lord through the years. He raised up a number of young men and women who were out serving. And we're praying that prayer and we're praying that prayer. And the Lord began to work in my heart, calling me to be an answer to my own prayer. You know, sometimes he uses us in that way. There's some people that you're burdened about. There's some people that you're concerned about. There's people that you've been praying about. Lord may be calling you to be an answer to your own prayer and reaching them for him. That's what I want us to talk about today. Our commission from Jesus. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, talking about our commission uh, from Jesus. Now, we... We all know what that commission is. We all know that Jesus wants us to, to go share uh, the good news uh, with others. There's a lost world that needs to know how much God loves them and that he's paid the price so that they can be saved. We all know that. But here's what I've learned. If we're down, if we're discouraged... If we ourselves are dealing with doubts, we're probably not going to be a very convincing or effective witness if we even try at all. Well, if that's you, the Lord has a word of encouragement for you today from this passage. If you're discouraged, he's got a word from this passage to give you encouragement. If you're, um, if you're feeling afraid or hopeless. He's got a word to encourage you and, and give you hope to do what this is he's calling us all to do. John chapter 20. Let me set up the scene. At this point, as we're going to jump in, beginning down in verse 19, it's now the evening of the very first Easter Sunday. It's the evening of the day that Jesus has first resurrected from the tomb. Now, in the context as we get down later in the day, down here in verse 19, most people had not seen him yet. He had appeared to a few, but not to all. And as the day had passed, probably all of them had gone to the tomb. They had indeed looked in. The tomb was indeed empty. 
But most of them hadn't seen him yet. They didn't know what had happened. They just knew something happened. The tomb is empty. They didn't know if the Romans had done something with the body, if it was the Jewish authorities. They didn't know if it was his friends or his enemies. They just knew something happened. The tomb is empty. Evening comes. And they barricade themselves into a locked room. Every negative emotion that you've ever experienced when you've gone through a crisis in your life is exactly what this group was going through that night as they gathered in that room. They were dealing with anger. There was confusion. They were afraid. They were mad. Everything you can Imagine when you've experienced going through a crisis in your life, that's what they were dealing with as they gathered to talk about what in the world is going on. Well, with that setting the stage, let's see what Scripture says happened. John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so this is Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, let me just say a word about disciples, because in my mind, when I read disciples, so often I'm thinking of the apostles. I read that word, I'm thinking of the apostles. I'm thinking, you know, Peter, James, John, uh, Bartholomew, those, those, those guys, that's who I'm, I'm thinking of. But the word disciple here is different than the word apostle. So he's not just saying Okay, the 12, 12 minus 1 at this point, that the 11 were gathered up into this uh, locked room. No, he said disciples. A disciple means a Christ follower, a learner. And so there were others in that room. If we were there in that day and we had been a Christ follower, we too would have probably been in that room that evening to talk about what was taking place. Verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut. Why were the doors shut? Why were the doors locked? The doors were locked, he tells us, verse 19, the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now notice what happened next. Jesus came and stood in the midst. Let me tell you, friend, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. Jesus came and stood in their midst. You know, some people just like to argue. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, they just like to argue. And some people like to argue. And, they, and some people, they'll read this passage and say, uh-huh. It says he's here where the doors are shut. The doors are locked. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared in their midst. How did he do that? And they want to argue about that. I think that's the dumbest argument. Here's somebody who was just raised from the dead. You think a locked door is going to be anything to him? No. Jesus comes. The doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came, stood in the midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace. 
If this had been written in Hebrew, it would be the word shalom. But it's not. It's written in Greek. But it means the same thing, peace. As a matter of fact, he said it twice. He said it here in verse 19. He said it down in verse 21. Peace. I've learned that when Jesus says something in Scripture, once is enough. I mean, if he says it once, that's enough. I mean, you don't need to go anymore. He says it once, that's enough. But I've also learned that if he says something twice, particularly twice in close succession, I mean, he's really drawing attention to it. I mean, this is, this is important. He's putting an exclamation point on it. And that's what he did right here. Jump down again to verse 21. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Exclamation point. And I just want to deal with that this morning because that's a that's a major point of emphasis in the context of talking about the great commission it's a major point of emphasis to talk about peace it's what our world needs and I'm not necessarily talking about peace in the sense of absence of, of military uh, conflict I mean it's certainly true our, our our world needs that Jesus is the prince of peace he has come But, you know, there's never been a time when our world has not known conflict. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about and says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's not talking about peace on the world scene. It's talking about peace in a person's heart. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is the one who can bring peace. He can bring meaning and and purpose in your life. Our, Our world needs to hear that. Perhaps you need to hear that today. That Jesus can give you that meaning, peace, and purpose. You know, we live in a society that thinks if if I just had a little bit more, I'd be satisfied. I've got this itch in my life and that itch would be scratched if I just had a little bit more. And that could be a little bit more of different things for various individuals. It might be a little bit more responsibilities at your work. It might be a, a little bit more prestige. It might be a little bit bigger house, a little bit more money. It may be a little bit more of different things. But if I had just a little bit more, I'd be satisfied. The truth is there are people all over this world who have not only a little bit more, they've got a whole lot more. And they're still not satisfied. I mean, that's one of the things in South Florida. Some of the world's most ultra-rich live in South Florida and are still not satisfied. At the same time, right beside them, in, in the same context there, some of the, the, our nation's greatest poverty is there too and thinking, okay, if I just had more of this, I could get out of that and I'd be happy too. It's, it's the message we, we all need to know because we have to be careful too. I mean, in this pursuit of, of peace, sometimes we think if I can just get rid of my problems, then I could really have peace. I want to remind you today that peace, biblical peace, is not the absence of problems. As a matter of fact, 
problems come standard in life. Have you ever bought a new automobile? You know, there are certain things that come standard on a car when you buy it. Let me tell you what those items are. Tires. Um, a steering wheel. A windshield. That's pretty much about the end of the list on what comes standard on a car. Everything else is optional. It's add-ons. Okay, if you want a sunroof, that's optional. If you want a radio, that's optional. Well, in life, problems are standard. Problems come for everybody. You don't have to special order those. As a matter of fact, you can't get around them. They come into everybody's life. But peace and grace and joy and fulfillment, all of those things are optional. They're optional. Again, I'm parking here because Jesus, yes, we're going to get to, and he's got a, a, a commission for all of us. He's got a job for all of us to do, but he's making a major point of emphasis here. How can we experience this peace that Jesus talks about? Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Well, who was this guy? Be anxious for nothing? Don't worry about it. Man, this guy, he must have been kicked back on a Mediterranean cruise to be saying, hey, don't, just don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. No, the Apostle Paul, at the time he wrote this, was not on a Mediterranean cruise. You know where he was? Where was he? He was in jail. He was in prison. As a matter of fact, for all he knew... He would never get out and he would lose his life right there in prison. Now, it, the way it, it, it went, he did get out for a while and, and continue on uh, doing ministry. Later on, he was back in jail again and he did lose his life there later on. But when he wrote this, he didn't know. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Note what he says in the next verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Hear that? The peace of God. It's a wonderful thing to have peace with God. How do you get peace with God? You get peace with God by saying the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. You get peace with God by confessing that sin and repenting of that sin and turning to Jesus and asking Him to forgive you and, and to save you. That is how you get peace with God, by doing what God's Word says you must do to be saved. But in Philippians 4 verse 7, Paul's not talking about peace with God. He's talking about the peace of God. God. How do you get the peace of God? We see that in what John's gospel tells us. Jesus in this context, what we started off reading in verse 19, but you read verses 20 down through verse 22. 
Jesus, he's going to talk about God the Father. He's going to talk about himself, God the Son. He's going to talk about God the Holy Spirit. Right there's where we see this secret of peace of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's the peace of God we learn. Many people miss it. See, what the world thinks is, if you know, if I really come to God... If I really do this Bible thing, this church thing, if I really do this Christian thing, if I do this thing with God, then all of my problems are going to be gone. How's that working out for us? But that's what they think, and they stick their toe into the shallow end of the pool and they toy with the idea of faith and the Bible and Christianity and, and Jesus and they, they toy with it but, but nothing really changes with their problems. And so they start to think, well, what's the point? What's the use? If I follow Jesus, I have problems and if I don't follow Jesus, I have problems. Matter of fact, I'll just keep my Sundays to myself and all of the, and, and, and just have my problems. What's the point? They've missed the point. The point is not that you will no longer have problems. Listen, they're standard in life. Every one of us are going to have them. We have to deal with disease and death, sorrow. Sickness, sometimes it's, it's job loss, difficulties, all of those we, we have to face. They are not optional. They are standard and everybody's going to have to go through them. So what difference does it make? Here's the difference that it makes. The Holy Spirit of eternal God lives in and presides over the attitude of your heart. That's what Paul's saying here in Philippians 4, 7, that he will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus and that the peace of God will surpass all your understanding. And the world just doesn't grasp that. Every single one of us needs to understand this wonderful truth that that when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to reside in your life. Okay? When you ask the Lord into your, into your heart, He came to live there. The Holy Spirit is there. But listen, there is a difference in allowing and asking and inviting the Holy Spirit to reside in your life and Him presiding in your life. Some people have been... Happy just to simply know that the Holy Spirit lives there. But they're not giving the Holy Spirit the freedom day by day to control their thoughts and their minds and their words, their attitudes. That's where this secret of peace with God and the peace of God is found. That's why Paul, when he was writing back to the church at at, at Corinth, is writing to the church, and they got all kind of mess going on in the church at Corinth. Corinth was a mess. All kind of, 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 of dishonesty and, and immorality. They're still having all kind of problems. And Paul writes back to the church, and listen what he said. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 
whom you have from God and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. When we allow the Holy Spirit of God not just to reside but to preside in our lives, let me show you what happens. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we have basically a personality profile of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever taken one of those personality profile tests? I mean, bless your heart. You learn all kinds of things about yourself. You really didn't want to know. Well, Galatians chapter 5 is a personality profile of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, but the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit... Fruit is an outward expression of what is on the inside of that tree. Now, that tree doesn't have to bear fruit, but if it's going to bear fruit, it's going to bear that kind of fruit. An apple tree is only going to bear apple. If it bears anything at all, it's going to bear apples. It's not going to bear a pear or a peach or an orange or anything like that. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, what's the fruit of the Spirit going to bear? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We read that, your, 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 your life group studies it, Pastor David preaches on it, and we hear that and we say, okay, man, i got to work on that. I need to, that more love and, and joy and kindness, and i got to work on those things. And then somebody mean comes up and says something to you. You know that Florida State fan. And um, somebody comes up. And they say something to you. And your natural inclination is when somebody bites you, you want to bite them back. And so when they say that to you, okay, here it comes. I mean, you're ready to let them have it. And just about that time, here's this little voice. Oh, you can't do that. Remember, you got to be kind. You're gritting your teeth. I mean, you're ready to let them have it. You got to be nice. You got to be kind. You got to be. You got to be, be. Be loving. You can't do that. And you're gritting your teeth. And listen, we've all been there. You know what? You know what we're doing? We're trying to conjure up. The fruit of the Spirit ourselves, you can't do that. The end result is frustration and, a, and an ulcer. You can't make the personality qualities of the Holy Spirit come out on your own. The only way to do that, listen, is to let the Holy Spirit not just to reside, but Him to preside in our lives so that His personality flows through our personality. Now, He still uses our unique personalities just exactly how he made you and who you are you know if you're funny the holy spirit will come out in your life in your personality the way you are if you are quiet the holy spirit will come out with your personality the 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 way that you are but that's the peace of god that's the secret the world doesn't get that's what allows us to face the difficulties we face in, in life. As, as Paul says, having that peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
So that's the peace aspect of it. Very important as we get down to this commission from Jesus. Well, let's look back at verse 19 in John 20 and see what he says here. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, when Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples, not just the eleven, but all of those believers were glad when they saw the Lord. He was proving to them who he is. And then verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you for the second time. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I mean, it's a great word. It's basically the same great commission that we find in Matthew. If I'd ask you, okay, take us to the great commission passage. Most all of us would go over to Matthew 28. This is basically the same Matthew 28 passage just said differently here in John. Jesus is saying what he came to do, he's now sending us to do. He now wants us to do. What did he come to do? He came to take people to God. He came to tell people that God loved them so much that whoever um, would just repent of their sin and confess and believe that, that they could have eternal life, that, that, that they could uh, tell people that, that God loved them and sent His Son to be the Lamb of God that takes away the, the sin of the world. What He came to do, He now wants us to do. What He came to do, He now wants you and me to do. Well, let's be frank. What... So often what we think he wants us to do, you know, if I just show up a couple times a month, I've done pretty good. I've done what God wants me to do. What he wants me to do is come, show up, and watch the pastor and watch some other people do what he's called us to do. Watch other people do it. That's not what this passage says. Jesus said to his disciples, all of them, men, women, young people, all of those believers, as the Father sent me, I also send you. So listen carefully to me. I want to ask you a very personal question this morning. When was the last time that you personally made an effort to lead someone, to point someone, to, 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 to move someone closer to the Lord in their life? Now, you, you may not have seen them come to know Jesus in that moment. You may have just planted the seed. Or you may have watered the seed that somebody else had. It may be somebody later on that comes by and, and sees the harvest. But this is a very important question for us. When was the last time that you personally, intentionally, sought to lead somebody to the God who loves them so much? Jesus said what he sent me to do. I'm sending you to do. Look at verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
There are literally books written on this verse right here debating whether this group received the Holy Spirit right then or or not or or maybe later. There's some that are saying that even though the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that there were there, there's some that believe that at this moment that group in that room received the Holy Spirit uh, right there. Then there are other people that love the Bible and the Lord equally as much. They they say no, the Holy Spirit. It's it's Acts chapter two, fifty days later. That's when the Holy Spirit came. This here is just a prediction of what was going to happen. I don't know, but I think it's more the latter there, that this was just a prediction Jesus gave of, told them of what was going to happen. Jesus gave them a picture to remind them when the day came. Note the next phrase in verse 22. It says, He breathed on them. Let me demonstrate what that means. Jesus went... In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came with the sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And in that moment, you know what those folks heard? And they remembered Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come. Look at verse 23. There are a lot of folks that never get what this means here. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Our Catholic friends believe this is where Jesus gave the authority to the Pope and to the priests to actually forgive sin. The problem with that is that Scripture specifically says only God can forgive sin. So, friend, you've got to be very careful. You can't take one verse when it doesn't match with everything else in Scripture and, and build, try to build some sort of theology belief on one verse when it doesn't match the, the context and the teaching of the, of the whole uh, of Scripture. And so here's what this verse means. He's telling us, he's given us the authority to announce truth. We have the authority to announce it. I can can tell every one of you in this room today, each of us, we can go tell others that if you repent of your sin, if you confess Christ as your Lord, if you follow Him with your life, if you do what the Bible says you need to do to be saved, I have a great announcement. Your sins are forgiven. I didn't forgive your sins. God forgives your sin. I just have the wonderful opportunity of announcing that to you. Friend, if you've never got that settled, I've got a wonderful announcement. You can be saved in this place today. That's an announcement that we have the authority to make. Now, if you don't confess Christ as Lord, if you don't turn to Him in forgiveness, if you don't repent, I have the sad news of announcing to you that you're still in your sins. That's all that verse means, that He's given us the authority to announce it. So here's what we've learned from Jesus in this passage today. He wants all of us to be a witness it's not just your Sunday school teacher. It's not just your, 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 your pastor. He wants all of us to be a witness for Him. But if there's times we're down and we're discouraged or we're dealing with doubt and we get overwhelmed by, by, by things so often, we don't witness. 
We're not convincing in it. If we even try at all, this passage says everybody's going to have problems. The disciples had problems. All of us do. I mean, some of you are dealing with things that, 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 that I can't even comprehend, but that's life. We, we, we Don't think for a moment that if you just... If you just love Jesus enough, if you just pray enough, if you just read your Bible enough, you just do enough Christian things that somehow all your problems are going to go away. Friend, that's not what Scripture says. Problems are not optional. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But the good news of the last verse is, says, but, uh, but, but I've overcome the world. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Problems are standard. But peace is optional. And so friend, the good news you need to hear today is you determine whether or not you're going to have peace in the storm. You're going to face problems. They're going to be major. We can't get around. Those are standard. But peace and love and kindness, all of those are fruits of the Spirit. And they are optional. And if you want them, they can be yours. Horatio Spafford wrote that beautiful old hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrow like sea billows roll Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. If you know anything about that story, you know that the only way Horatio Spafford could have written that song was because he knew the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had lost his wife. He had lost his, his children. And he gets to that point where the, the ship had gone down and he goes out and he writes. The only way he could write that was because he knew the Prince of Peace. Friend, if you want peace, real peace, eternal peace, you come to the Prince of Peace who says, Peace to you. And then let's go take this message of peace to a world that needs to hear it. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you for each one who is here today. And Lord, I, I just pray for someone whose heart is burdened. Lord, I pray that you would Lord, you just work in their life and that they would know today that you can bring peace. Lord, I pray for the person for whom the Holy Spirit resides in their life, but they've not allowed you to preside. Their own personalities overshadowed your personality. Lord, for every one of us today, may there be less of us and more of you. 
May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray for somebody for whom life is difficult. Somebody listening right now. Lord, I, I, it just seems like one thing goes wrong and then another and then another and they just can't get a break. And Lord, they've got a choice to make. They will either trust you and love you and serve you and find that peace that passes all understanding. Or they'll just keep trying on their own and be miserable. Lord, I pray in this moment right now, each one of us will turn wholeheartedly to you. Lord, I pray right now for that hopeless person that you will bring them hope. I pray for that discouraged person that you will encourage them. I pray for that one who's afraid, Lord, that you will just spur them on and give them the courage to do what it is you've called us to do. Lord, each of us has people around us who need to know Lord, I pray you'd just lay some specific people on our heart right now that we can lift up to you. And Lord, we know you sometimes use us to answer our own prayers. Lord, show us how we can go speak to them this week. Lord, help us to pray for them now. May they experience this peace and give us the peace and the courage to go share. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, stand with me if you would, and we're going to have our time of invitation. And I'm going to invite you to come pray. You may have somebody that God has on your heart who needs to know the Lord and, 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 and you've been praying. Why don't you lift them up again now? You may want to gather or kneel around the front and just, just pour out to the Lord that He would work in their heart and draw them. Why don't you pray God gives you an opportunity to go share with them this week. There may be that person here today and you're just discouraged. And the problems and the burdens and those things have just got you weighed down and you just need to come. Cast it on Jesus.